0: Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. Apologies. I know I sound a little bit different. Had some technical difficulties with my microphone. Didn't fix them, but figured it would be important to get this episode out because Michigan basketball just had their biggest win I'd say of the Jim or Juwan Howard era, and I'd say really maybe their biggest win since the Final Four win back in 2018 to advance the national title game. So, sure. uh, pretty pretty significant victory. Steve, I know you were just talking about it. You know, I know the the Michigan Ohio State rivalry isn't quite the same for basketball, but it is. I mean, among fan bases, it it's still significant. First, you know, real they've beaten Ohio state a couple of times, but I think this is their first real chest pounding victory in the rivalry since I, there is one that was bigger that that you'll probably mention, but there was also that one year when Michigan had kind of a lost season. They had a lot of injuries and they beat a top 25 Ohio state team. And that was the game where, uh, you know, Spike Albrecht was going toe to toe with D'Angelo Russell. Um, So, so there's been a few times, it's not like Michigan has, not beating Ohio State, but but to win, top five matchup, first top five matchup in the series ever, uh, and then also to to win at Ohio State in a game where like both teams played well. I don't think this was a Michigan skated by by any stretch. In fact, I think you could argue both teams played among their best games of the season. Uh, the free throws were there. The the crisp you know highlight plays, the shots, the, the ball movement. Uh, I think both teams played really darn good basketball so we'll talk about that we'll do similar to last week's episode we'll start with a few uh, smaller picture questions and then we'll kind of open it up so to what it means what's next everything like that so but Steve first uh, first initial thoughts on the win I know you were watching as was I uh, general impression of the victory
2: well was like I think my comment afterwards was that it was just a Another different way that Michigan won. You know, they went on the road and and outscored a very good Ohio State team and offense specifically on fire from the outside to begin the game. You knew that would slow down in the second half, and then that's when Hunter Dickinson kind of took over late. So just more like adverse situations where this team just seems to kind of find a way To to get it done, you know, and you just can't you can't not be impressed with just the all around, you know, another game where it's like in different at different points of the game, like pretty much every major contributor did something significant, yeah, uh, to help them get the win, right? I mean, and that's just like that's where it's like this team is going to be so difficult um, come tournament time when teams don't have weeks or you know, much time in and, and a lot of in most instances, like a lot of turnover to, to really study them or anything like that. So there's so many guys that can hurt you. Uh, and so many guys, this feels like something that's carried over from beeline a little bit, but also like so many guys that can create opportunities, create open opportunities offensively mm-hmm. for their teammates. And like, that's just, you know, it's difficult to defend. Uh, it's like, they, they really are a pick your poison, type team to defend, but, like, which poison even? And it's, like, there's, like, just a lot of different ways they can attack you, a lot of different ways they can uh, score. So, big, yeah, biggest win of the year, obviously. And, the, like, I, the other thing I had said was in just, just kind of a Homer thing, kind of, but it, it is nice to, like, be podcasting or discussing a huge win over Ohio State in something significant. Um, Michigan fans have not had a lot to kind of crow about and again, like you said, not the same as football, right? I mean, it's, but at the same time, you could argue this was the biggest regular season game the two teams have ever played. Um, I think it'd be hard to dispute that, right? First time they're both in the top five, both are like number one seeded teams or projected number one seeds in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, the stakes
1: is... can't get much bigger. I mean, we, right. can, we can split hair and say, oh, 2013, I think they were both top 10 teams. So it's like, you know, were they ranked? just happened to be ranked one way one week but I mean this isn't this is there's no way to da- under undersell this game or oversell this game I guess like it really whoever wins is in the driver's seat for the big 10 title um whoever wins is gonna be probably a one seed provided they finish the season on track so yeah continue with their point but yeah I, I don't think it can get much bigger in terms of regular season games than this.
2: I mean, only maybe the biggest game the two teams have played would be the 92 Final Four, right? Sure, yeah. Uh, that would probably be the – but otherwise, like like I said, regular season-wise, this is the biggest game uh, that the two teams have played. So it's significant for that reason. And like I said, I just – it's getting to the point now where that they've just – they have – they've won in so many different fashions that it's just like it, – it it's hard – you know, we, they still have Iowa coming up. They still have Illinois. Illinois looked really good against Minnesota I actually happened to watch that game. Uh, but it's hard to like fathom or imagine a team throwing something at them that they won't at least have the opportunity to, you know, I, I don't think it just, they're going to be in every, I feel like they're going to be in every game, you know, this, the rest of the way I feel like. So uh, barring, like we've said before, injury, stuff like that, but, you know, I, I just, yeah, you can't say enough, man. And I'm like, go back to Dickinson too. Just making big plays uh, at big points of the game. You know, he had a decent advantage on the offensive side of the ball with his length and size for, you know, compared to Ohio State. But at the same time, uh, he had his hands full defensively, was very winded at different points of the game, and still came through, you know, with a couple huge baskets late uh, to kind of help seal the deal or at least get them on the road to sealing the deal, you know, and it's for a true freshman, you know, he's been tested at, you know, the big 10 has a lot of really good big men, but they're a lot of, they're very, a lot of different types of big men. Um, and he's, he's been up to the challenge pretty much across the board uh, so far. And it's, it's impressive, you know, it doesn't, obviously not going to get easy, any easier because he hasn't
1: played the big two yet the
2: two that yeah, the two best, yeah. you know, but he's, but he's played some, you know, a wide variety of guys. Uh, down low. So yeah, fun game. Great game lived up to any billing that it may have had. Obviously it did have some, but I mean, it lived up and exceeded those expectations. Just a great basketball game.
1: Yeah. And these games rarely do actually live up to the hype. I feel like that's something I've, I've grown frustrated with, especially in like college football. It's like, it's like game of the year and it's like, it doesn't always, it doesn't always look good. Um, You know, two, two really good teams facing each other sometimes one is just better than the other. And, and I don't know. I don't know if that was the case. I, I mean, Michigan is better than Ohio state by virtue of winning, but like, I don't think it's like Ohio state was a fraud, you know, and I don't think Ohio state, it's going to like go away. I think it was just, um, you know, too, it was a heavyweight bout. Right. So we got a few ways to unpack it. I'm, I'm with you, Steve. I, I think the, the fact that, Ohio State played a really, really good offensive game and Michigan didn't flinch. I mean, there were, you know, there were hiccups. I think both teams had areas that they, you know, they can correct, but really high scoring game. Both both halves were both teams scoring in the 40s, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, really just a um, uh, really <laughs> thrilling game for, for the fans. What was the most impressive thing. That's that's the question we're talking about here. What you know, you've mentioned a couple things that stood out to you, but in terms of like perhaps a surprise, perhaps something that you were kind of look going into the matchup, you weren't sure if that was gonna be if something was gonna happen. What was the most impressive thing that stood out to you from this game?
2: Uh kind of how even though it was a high scoring game, I thought Michigan they're late buckling down on defense to kind of give them the cushion. Um, Just that relentless motor. Also, again, here's the thing. And he had, I think he had what, 15 or 16 points, but could argue that Johnny Brown had the play of the game again with those like those two offensive rebounds got the put back. And like, it is so like that energy that he creates that how, you know, there was the video of him getting the, the game ball for the thousand points. And stuff. It's like, it's so clear that the team completely feeds off of his energy and you know again it was going to be a game that was going to go down to the wire regardless but you just feel like that gives them a little jolt uh, at the right time you know and he's just uh, plays his butt off on the defensive end he was on today you know we've talked a little bit about he has a tendency to be on or off from the outside he was definitely on today Um, both him and smith very impressive given, uh, you know, this is a rivalry, a big one. You know, it's, it's, to me, it doesn't get enough. You know, it's always Michigan, Michigan State with basketball, but this is always, you know, it's Ohio State is quietly always pretty good. Uh, they're kind of a weirdly like, underappreciated program nationally, in my opinion, you don't don't ever really hear about them. I think that's fair. Right. I mean, they're usually somewhere in the top 25 uh, most seasons. And and you just don't ever really hear about them as far as, you know, a consistently good national level team. Um, And for those two guys to kind of come in on the road. And again, I know there's no crowd, but still you're on the road, you're traveling, you're doing all the road stuff. Uh, For those guys to kind of come in and play, uh, not just with composure, but just play effectively. I mean, I thought Smith, played another really efficient game, Um, you know, but Brown, yeah, 16, 15, 16 points hit from the perimeter, played some great defense late. And like I said, that effort uh, underneath the basket, just I just think Michigan feeds off that stuff big time. I I just think it gets, I think it gets the coaches going. I think then by, by effect, gets the players going as well.
1: Yeah, I think absolutely. Uh, And I would, I would actually, one of the things that impressed me the most was the guard play. So you can throw Shawnee Brown in there, but, and, and Mike Smith as well, who had 11 points, three rebounds, seven assists. And then Eli Brooks, you know, coming, kind of coming up clutch. He scored Michigan's first six points and then he scored six of Michigan's last 10 points. So, and that, that was 12 of his 17 points in the game. Smith Brooks Brown combined for two turnovers. So just really a really steady play by the guards. And I think, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago when I posed the question, what is separating Michigan from that Baylor-Gonzaga duo? I I said it was guard play. I mean, there were, you know, obviously outside shooting is another area that Michigan, I think they answered that conversation today, but, um, you know, I said guard play was kind of the one area I think Michigan could, could elevate. Even higher, and and I think they did today. I, I really do. I mean, all three of those guys scored in double figures. Um, you know, Smith wasn't necessarily the most efficient scorer today, but but regardless, eleven points on nine shots, plus seven assists and one turnover. So really, and and it's not like they were playing, you know, nobody point guards. Ohio State, they have pretty good pretty good backcourt. <laughs> you know, obviously, they got their way offensively. But, yeah, I, I thought the guard play was one area where it, where it was really, really impressive. And then actually a smaller thing, and this is related to the guard play, I thought Michigan was really good when it had to go quickly. You know, Michigan is not a uh, fast-tempo team statistically compared to the rest of the country. They're, they're below average in that category. But there were some plays, and not just the fast breaks, like like actual transition plays, where they, they went really quick, and as I was watching it, I was kind of like, oh, well, this is where a turnover happens, or, oh, this is where a bad pass or a bad shot happens. And, and it wasn't – I mean, obviously there were times where they turned the ball over and had a bad shot, but, but when they were working quickly, I was actually very impressed with how efficient they were and how effective and, and I, I guess, making the right decision, too. And, and you just mentioned there's so many different ways Michigan can win. I think that's another one is I, I, I think that, you know, in addition to it being a high scoring game, it was a fast game in a lot of spots. So I think that's, you know, the multiple multiplicity of winning, you know, the more ways you can win, the more likely you are to win, especially in the NCAA tournament, because you're going to play all sorts of different teams. So, yeah, in terms of what, maybe maybe surprised me more because some of how the game unfolded, I mean, I kind of expected Hunter, maybe not 22 points, but I expected Hunter Dickinson to have a good game by virtue of being six inches taller than anyone he was playing against. You know, kind of feel like we've seen enough Isaiah Livers and Franz Wagner know they're going to be there and, and shooting and, and scoring in, in spots. So, But, yeah, the guard play, I think that was the difference maker in terms of, uh, you know, Michigan – Being in a good game, looking good, but ultimately falling short versus winning in a pretty impressive fashion. I to me, it was the guard play. Uh, Next question: Of everything you saw today, which which thing you know, all the different takeaways or or things that impressed you, which one is the most significant in as it pertains to the rest of the regular season? Like which what what thing today do you think Michigan is going to? kind of keep in their back pocket and have that either, whether it's a play or someone stepping up or something that they know they can do now and that they've done on a big stage uh, that they can apply moving forward.
2: Well, I think last episode we talked about, wanted to see how Michigan can shoot from the perimeter with, with not non Isaiah livers Mm -hmm. players. I'll be interested to see if Eli Brooks can build off of, yeah. Three for, three for four today. Right. I know a couple of them were early, but either way it doesn't matter. I mean, they still, they still count. Um, <laughs> but I'm interested to see if maybe, cause I feel like, so defensively he's been fine. I feel like him more than maybe some of the other guys has taken a little bit longer to kind of get his offensive game back after the uh, three week, the layoff that they had, you know, he felt a little.
1: Yeah. You know, nine ahead. points to, to put stats here, nine points on, 11 shots against Wisconsin and then four points on five shots against Rutgers. So not right. efficient, not effective offensively.
2: So just you know, wondering if because I think he his combination of experience and his the fact that we know he has offensive ability, I, I just think he his value uh, continues to to be f- huge for Michigan because he's gonna be on the floor as often as possible because of his defensive ability but he's also a guy that can just, you know, open things up for a lot of other people off, you know, on the offensive side. So that's something I'm kind of wondering if they look at Um, otherwise. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's, you got to feel really good if you're Michigan, knowing that, you know, Franz Wagner was, didn't really even need to be a major factor offensively Uh, again, Michigan slowed way down on the, on the perimeter in the second half, but, uh, you know, that, and I think, you know, we don't know if these two teams will meet again, but I think you got to feel good that uh, Washington is not going to play the, the game that he did. <laughs> I mean, credit to him though. Don't get me wrong. He, I think as the game went on, his his effectiveness was even more apparent because he did get a lot of easy baskets. I, I felt like, I think I mentioned this in the Slack chat. It was like people were wondering why was Michigan going zone? I kind of felt like they did it because when they were going man, they would just bring Liddell up to the perimeter and allow Washington to kind of drive the lane. I feel like that's when he got a few of his easiest baskets were when Michigan went back to like a man-to-man type defense. So, but he also kind of that classic guy that hit just like a lot of high-difficulty shots in the game. And I just, if you're Michigan, I think you're like, you gave up 87, not what you wanted, obviously, given how well they've played defensively. But I don't know, if these two teams do cross paths again, you know, it's hard for me to imagine that, he will play at that level again and I don't look at Michigan's box score or their performance and say hmm, I don't know if that guy will do that again you know what I mean Like I just feel like
1: well you're you're probably right but do you think Eli Brooks and Shondi Brown will be good to go six for eight from three again this season Is not that- necess-
2: not necess- no not necessarily but it's not uh, we've seen Brown have games like that before i mean he like i said he with him it's a matter of he's either hot or cold Mm -hmm. you know and again michigan don't get me wrong they what they started what 10 for 13 yeah from three i mean that's obviously not going to happen again but is they ended up washington
1: is not going to score 30 points right
2: i just i just feel good about you took you took what i would argue is i don't know how much more you can say that if that wasn't ohio state's best shot Right, I mean, you can't say that Ohio State didn't offensively, play Offensively, really. yeah, definitely offensively. But I think either, I mean, they're they're winning that if they put up eighty-seven, they're winning that game. They probably beat anybody else in the conference today with eighty-seven points. I feel like,
1: yeah, so yeah,
2: you know, so I guess there's a couple things there, but that's that's the thing to me is like Michigan's performance because uh, again, they ended up shooting less than fifty percent from three. Uh, their performance felt more repeatable. I guess that Ohio State's did. Liddell's a problem though, I, so I haven't watched. I haven't watched Ohio State, maybe, but just a little. A bit. lot of
1: people were underestimating Liddell. I, Man, I know
2: he's good.
1: Yeah, no, I I remember. I think I tweeted at someone the other day because Liddell went off for twenty three against Penn State, and I was like, "Oh, he's probably a first teamer." And they were like, "Really?" Over this guy, this guy, this guy. I'm kind of like, "Well, I think so." <laughs> like, I mean, I don't watch every Ohio State game, but it. He he's good. He's good, and, and and Dwayne Washington is is really good too. I mean, he Absolutely. does he does lead the Big Ten in three pointers. Um, I don't want to. I hate I hate the reaction people have when you do player comparisons, but like, kind of see a little like college Steph Curry in his game sure. a little bit, where it's just like he can just make every single shot and just make your like it's just in, undefendable at times. But um, I do. I will say you know, Justin Arns is not going to go scoreless, uh, you know, justice suing, I think he's a double digit scorer, usually six points. So, I mean, the other players were quiet, but, but yeah, I, I, I get, I agree with what you're saying and that I don't, I think if these teams ran it back, I don't think Michigan would like sputter more than Ohio state would. I think, I think both teams played uh, really, really well. So the thing for me, I'll stick to one player, Shondi Brown. I you know, we've we've sung his praises since November. I think, I think even like after one game, I was like, oh yeah, he he'd be a fan favorite player if there were fans in the game. Well, now he's a fan favorite player, and there aren't fans at the games. Uh, but I think quietly that was his first fifteen point game since December when they played UCF. So, and he I think he's had a couple like twelve or thirteen or fourteen point games, but he hasn't. I think his scoring had actually fallen off a little bit. I want to say off the top of my head that he had scored only 16, 17 points in the last four games. And so similar to Eli Brooks, I, I would argue that, you know, whether it was layoff related or kind of finding his fit because Michigan has always loved him. I mean, there was no like, Oh, he only scored six points, but you know, cause his defense was there, his energy was there, but he is a, he is a scorer and he is someone who can, help michigan put up points in a game where they really need to put up points and so i think getting him going six for eight shooting three for four from three um is that i mean that's repeatable it's not (laughs) repeatable every game otherwise um i mean it's just really hard to do off the bench period but i i thought he was able to translate what he brings to the court the energy the uh, the fit in the offense. I feel like he might be starting to grasp that a little bit more and understanding when and where he can make an impact. And obviously that's huge on a, in a game where Franz Wagner and Isaiah Livers, I, I don't think either of them played poorly, uh, but you know, kind of off and on performances. So, yeah, it's probably can't talk enough about how Michigan played. You know, there's lots of lots of different angles. But let's do a couple – Quick lightning round questions, and then we'll hit a break, and then we'll kind of talk about the big picture stuff. Uh, Steve, is Hunter Dickinson one of the best five players in the Big Ten? Has he, has he locked that up in your minds? He kind of mm. hit a little bit of a freshman wall, and that's where like it became a question. When he was scoring 17 in the game, yeah, it wasn't much of a question, but he hit a bit of a freshman wall, came out of it today, I would argue, 16 second-half points, 22 overall. A lot of good players in the Big Ten. Is he one of the best five?
2: Man, that's tough. That's a because you, like you said, I mean, there's a lot of good. Yeah, Desun Desunmu,
1: Garza Cameron,
2: Garza, Liddell. Today,
1: Tr- Trace Jackson Davis is averaging twenty a night. Yeah, what well, he had what
2: 30, 32 or thirty four against Michigan State the other like the other day. <laughs> um, boy. Isaiah
1: Livers arguably is in right. the mix. I'll
2: just say he's right there. I I think there's just I think there are a lot of really there's just too many like really great players uh, to say that he's for sure one of the five best. But I think you could easily make the argument. Not try not to cop out here, but like I, I, you know, I think Dasunmu Garza probably the two best players. I do think Jackson Davis has to be in that top five. Yeah, right. Uh, So then you're you're talking about pretty good handful of players for a couple more spots and like a top five type deal. But I I definitely think Dickinson would maybe be in the top end of that conversation of that next tier of players. So, which is, again, you never would have expected this coming into the season. Right. I mean, that's just been, um, they haven't, can't say he's been a revelation. I mean, he was a big time recruit, but still, I mean, I think he he was
1: expected to start and contribute, but no, he's, this is a best case scenario for Michigan. You know, because center was maybe the one position, maybe point guard too, but center really was like the one position I was kind of looking at. Like, I don't know what they're going to have. Because Hunter Dickinson could be really good, not a lot of seven-footers with his ability. Same time, he was a freshman in a, at a position and in a league where freshman big men don't always make an instant impact. Best-case scenario. So The, the thing the – one, the
2: one reason why I would maybe put him in that group is because – and today was another great example of it. He does a lot of other things that don't get box score recognition. His value is more than just a guy that can score in the post and, and grab some good some good rebounds. Um, I loved – he obviously has been watching film or just paying attention. You know, he stopped. His cross-court passes out of the post today were, were perfect because teams, I think, have been biting on – the the post pass to the top of the key, right? I mean, he'd get doubled, and he'd kind of always kind of lean towards going towards top of the key. He went all the way across court a couple times today. You know, Hit you know, Brooks hit one for three. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember what happened on the other one. But, you know, I think that he uh, walled off a couple defenders to get Brooks that easy basket to finish the half. I mean, it's just like little things, you know, the block on Liddell late in the second half too I mean just he's I remember early in the season I don't remember which game it was there was a stretch where it's like his name was mentioned like 11 times in like (laughs) 18 seconds of the broadcast you know and it's like uh that's where his you know his value for Michigan has been way more than yeah just scoring and and grabbing rebounds you know and so I I think maybe you could argue he's one of the five best
1: yeah I think I think Garza, Desunmu, Jackson Davis are, are locks. I, I honestly think Liddell has to be viewed as a lock. His role with Ohio State, a very good team, one of the top two or three teams in the Big Ten, is very, very prominent. Um, I think I think he actually is number four. And then, and then it kind of matters. Do you want to do, like, positional integrity? Because Marcus Carr is scoring a lot of points. Uh, do you want to do, you know, efficiency? Because Kofi Coburn doesn't play quite as many minutes, but he also produces pretty consistently. I'll, Based off of today, I'll put Hunter Dickinson in, in my top five, but I, I do think how he does against Iowa and Illinois are going to determine where he falls on the list. I think he's locked up. 10 freshman of the year obviously (laughs) i think he might have locked it up before january even started or ended another quick question just about dickinson as well is he the um is he the best freshman michigan's had in the 21st century the other candidates are ignis bristakis uh you could argue nick stauskas glenn robinson trey burke manny harris uh tim hardaway jr was a pretty good freshman. Um, mind is if I'm omitting oh, someone by mistake. What about McGarry? Uh, I don't know if he was that productive all season. I think he was more yeah, of a, he just came on late. an NCAA tournament. Sure. So it's really, to me, I think it's, it's um, Dickinson versus Burke versus sure. Manny Harris. I think those are probably the three in the running. I got to say yes. I think he is. Yeah, I mean –
2: we're talking about a guy that I don't, I don't know if Trey was one of the five best players in the big 10, his first season. Right. I don't think we'd be,
1: uh, he was, I think he was second team.
2: Sure. well. well. So he's not, I guess not, that's could be an argument then, but I, I got to go with Dickinson. That's just lightning round answer. I just said, I think that that's pretty crazy to think of it that way though. I didn't really think of it that way. Um, but I'll go. Yeah, I think he is. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I, Uh, The reason I asked is because obviously these are questions that have been crossing my mind. Um, I think it it does. I do think how he finishes the regular season is important because I don't mean to say it for like the fourth time, but in terms of one-on-one center versus center matchups, his two toughest competitors are still to come. And that's, that's relevant, but yeah, I think statistically, I mean, he's averaging 15 and eight. (laughs) Like, that's that's a lot in, in the college game. So I I, I think it's certainly um, possible. Yeah, Trey Burke was Big 10 freshman of the year, as was Ignis Prestecus, as was I mean there's been a, there's been a a couple either all all Big 10 freshman team or Big 10 freshman of the years, but I think I think Hunter, I mean he's he's the best player on maybe the best team and he's putting up numbers and and really meeting every challenge you know there isn't there hasn't been too many moments that were too big for him i mean there's been games where he was quieter offensively but it wasn't like he wasn't getting wrecked down low you know like he was just not scoring like he was still he was still making a lot of a lot of plays that were helping michigan win so next question and this one's tougher because I don't think either of us have a Rolodex of sixth man of the year candidates in the big 10. think Shondi Brown locked it up today. I I feel like he did. I'm not even sure. It's possible.
2: Yeah. Like you said, I don't know who the other six man. I think it it depends on how, I don't know what like the criteria is for these. I don't know if it's like a, yeah. How many
1: games are you allowed to start?
2: Right. Well, or is it like, when a gold glove is given to like the best offensive like third baseman or something as an example, you know what I mean? Like a, an award where like, if they actually take defensive play into account for an award like that, then absolutely. I think he
1: is. Yeah. You don't understand
2: understand what I'm saying though. It's like, is it just going to be the guy who scores the most points off the bench or are they actually going to like, is it to go to the guy who's actually the best overall player? Uh with his defensive ability, you know, and, and the his, his tangible value uh, to Michigan, not just based on what the coaches have said, but just if you watch Michigan, uh, you can't measure. It's like I, I tweeted last week. I mean, cannot believe, like imagine the difference of Shaundi Brown if they'd had no gel Eastern on this roster instead. I mean, can you it's, – it's crazy to think that, that him not qualifying – is what led to Brown being on Michigan's roster and you don't think that they're banking their whatever you like banking their
1: Well Brown was Brown was on the team already.
2: I thought that was I thought he was well cuz he had released a final four that didn't include Michigan originally. I thought it was after Eastern uh... didn't I thought it was that after Eastern didn't qualify that he um that roster spot opened back up cuz he decommitted and then went to Howard and then then
1: I think it was after Christopher Oh, OK. Well, but, but your point still remains, because honestly, I think the point could still be there for Josh Christopher as, as talented as he is. I think. I, you know, I don't think Michigan like lucked into this. I don't think it's totally random that, that Shondy Brown, like they went after him for a reason. But you're right. There was a time where they weren't necessarily looking for a player to fill Shondy Brown's right, role. Right. And, and he has been everything they could have asked for and more
2: way more. I think, I mean, that's like I said, he's, they get, yeah, like you said, pretty cool for a guy to become a fan favorite when the fan, like it, it's, that's the one, the kind of the biggest disappointment about fans not being able to see this is uh, Chrysler would be packed to the brim uh, every weekend right now, you know, and like that he would be, he'd be the, yeah, he'd are, he is the favorite player with no fans, you know, but it'd be cool to get some fans to uh, appreciate, you know, because as a guy, as a grad guy, like he'd, probably won't be back next year. Right. So, you know, he'll never get that experience,
1: but uh, yeah, he, he technically, so he, he could, right. He, yeah. Yeah. This was just his fourth season. So he could, but yeah, I think he'd have to, it'd have to be really personal to him um, to, you know, I'm not sure exactly when he's going to graduate, you know, versus like getting a master's degree, things like that. But as far as sixth man of the year, uh he, he might have the vote. So I looked around at some of the other top teams, you know, Jonathan Davis out of, out of Wisconsin, having a pretty good year. Uh, Jack Nung, Nunge. I'm not sure exactly how to say his last name out of Iowa. Oh, it's Nunji. Nunji. Okay. Yep. Yeah. He's having a nice season uh, primarily off the bench. Georgie Bis- Vili. That one's even tougher than Nungy, uh, but he's, he's another candidate. And then CJ Walker today, actually. Um, yeah. He was great. Yeah. So
2: I forgot he's the same. Is he the same CJ Walker that was playing for Florida State when Michigan played them in the Elite Eight, right? I think so. Yeah, that's because I just keep remembering. I yeah, remember yeah, he was Kevin Harlan, CJ Walker. Like, and I was like, <laughs> is that the same guy? And I, I, I'm pretty sure it is. So Yeah,
1: he averaged eight points a game for Florida State that year. Yep. So there's a there's a few. I mean, he's technically started ten games, so that's where it becomes a, a debate, I guess, over like who qualifies. I think he's in. He's rightfully in that group, though. Um, You know, I think. I think the one thing is, you know, his stats, as you mentioned at the top of this discussion, is his stats probably won't look quite as good as some of these other candidates, just because he hasn't he hasn't had to be a big scoring threat. You know, today, yeah, they needed at least ten of those fifteen points, mathematically speaking. Uh, (laughs) But some some games they're up by twenty, and they're like, well, you know, just go in there and play some defense and keep things keep things steady so um but yeah i think i don't think i think i might take a hard look at walker jonathan davis uh in this situation but he's he's right in the mix i wouldn't say anyone's wrong for voting for him especially what he's done on the defensive side of the ball all right last like quicker question they're actually turning into long because they're interesting debates but is this does this team beat all the other teams of, of Michigan's last twenty-one years in the twenty-first century, is this does this beat the 2012-2013 team at this point? Cause that team did not beat a top ten Ohio State team on the road. They sure. they'd lost a few games at this point. You know, I know I'm sure everyone's seen the stat. This is Michigan's best 12 game start to the Big Ten since 1977. Oh. So I mean, beating the Fab Five, beating the 89 championship team, beating all of Beeline's teams. Um, granted, you do have to kind of play the right teams at the right time, but and they are 16 and one, this is, and, and they've won, they've beaten every team they've played, you know, they played Minnesota twice and blew them out once and lost the other time. And they've, they're undefeated when their starting lineup is healthy. So is this team, it's crazy because that 2012, 2013 team is like kind of the standard, like that's about as good as one would think you can be. In college basketball does this team beat them do you think
2: I just there's like what six pros
1: <laughs> on that team and it's hard to
2: it's hard to answer a question like that not like without like with putting away the fact that like most of these guys are still playing in the league and are like having success you know it's, it's like kind of hard to say that they would beat you know I think Tim Hardaway's averaging like 15-20 points a game this year for the Mavs uh I don't know if I'd go that far yet. I don't know. I just Trey Burke was so good that year. I just I don't know. I almost would still
1: say no. well
2: that's I could, fair. I
1: mean I think it's still very much up for debate. Right.
2: I, I just but the 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 argument for this year's like you said, uh best starting conference in forever and the conference this year is so strong. Uh, and I know they haven't played Iowa or Illinois yet, right? Which, you know, who knows, a week from now we made, you know, we'll see what that, where that's at. But, you know, the conference is this strong from top to bottom, and they're, yeah, they're 15 and, or 16 and one or whatever and one they are right now uh, overall. Kind of hard not to, you know, there is an argument to there, but I, I, I just have a hard time picking against that 2012 team, 13
1: team. This was the first day that I really entertained the discussion. And I think, you know, because – I I did want to see them face somebody really, really good. Uh, You know, they've played good teams. They have, I think, six quadrant one wins at this point, but they hadn't played a top 10 team, you know, as good as the big 10 is. The big 10 is good because they have like 10 or 11 teams that could make the tournament. And then they have like a nice big four, but Michigan hadn't played anyone else in the big four. So today I'm, I'm shifting it just a little bit because I think, I think the one thing this team has that the other Michigan teams that have been good and ranked and had hot starts, I think this team's really, really reliable and consistent. You know, because I think people, and they should, hold the, you know, kind of that 2012-2013 team as like this unstoppable force. I mean, they lost a few games. They should not have been losing. You know, it's not, I mean, there were a couple buzzer beaters that they lost, but, you know, thinking about that loss at Penn State, I just don't see this team having that kind of issue. And and so far they haven't, I mean, they had, you know, a quadrant one loss on the road when they had a starter missing due to injury. Um, So I'm, I I think I'm with you. I think I'm still taking the 2012, 2013 team, but man, this team is reliable. They're really good. I don't think they have as much first round talent, but I, I do think in terms of, what what a, visualizing what a game would look like I mean Karis Levert wasn't a pro at the time uh you know Glenn Robinson Jr. and Nick Stauskas were not pro I mean they were pretty darn good they were close to being pros but they weren't pros at the time I I feel like this team the current team also maybe makes fewer mistakes has fewer scoring droughts so um I mean because like you know today's game I was waiting for them to run into foul trouble or have a scoring drought or have some turnovers that, that, you know, really cost them. They had a couple turnovers, of course, but like in terms of, I was waiting for the, for the dud stretch, you know, the four or five minutes where they just don't look quite as good. Didn't see it. So, and at some point, if they keep having games like that where you don't see them look bad, uh, you know, or, or get in trouble against these other good teams, you know, they, they eclipsed a double-digit comeback a week ago against a top 25 team. It's like, okay, at some point, they're just really, really darn good. Anyway, we're going to hit a break. On the other side, we've got some big-picture discussion uh, talking about kind of what's next, what this, what this victory means for the Wolverines. You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue.
1: And we're back. Thanks so much for waiting. Let's get back to it. So Steve, I mean, this, I, this sounds like a very simple question, but I I don't know if it is anymore. What, what does it take? What would it take for a team to beat this Michigan team? Uh, You know, provided there's health provided there, you know, that stuff. I mean, how does this team lose because for a long time I thought, okay, well, if another team is hitting outside shots, uh, you know, the backcourt is going off, you know, they're scoring, well, 87 points on the, on the road, you'd think, okay, Michigan's probably not surviving that game. And then they won. And so maybe, maybe they got a little, they played a little out of their shoes shooting three-pointer in the first half, but then they didn't shoot well in the second half. And they still outscored Ohio state. So this might sound like a dumb question, but what what would it take for Michigan to lose? Like I don't even I'm help help myself and then the listeners visualize what does what does that even look like for this Michigan team to lose?
2: I think the biggest thing would be a situation in which Dickinson gets in foul trouble. Right? I think that would be something mm-hmm. where it would cripple Michigan's offense to not cripple it but it could hurt it over the long haul of a game you know it may may negate any of his advantages defensively too if you're in foul trouble throughout you know that's always like the great variable is just officiating how the game is called that type of stuff so that's one way I feel like Michigan You could look at it like I'd almost you could compare it to maybe the football game against Michigan State this year where like all of a sudden they were calling everything uh, on the outside on Michigan's defensive backs, you know, where we know Michigan's defensive backs like to play aggressively. um, And it would just vary by game to game how it was called It's like a game where maybe if it's called really tight because Michigan does like to play aggressively on the defensive end, uh, you know, so I think that's one area where, you know, you need the right opponent, I think, but a team that like I could see Illinois with Coburn trying to attack Dickinson early because he's physical enough to give Dickinson some problems in the post. And it may, you know what I mean? Like that's an area where I think, you know, some, some stuff could happen. So that's the first thing I think Uh, other thing is, and Ohio state did it for a while today uh, just to have a really good game from the perimeter. Uh, Just Washington's early shots, open the lane up for him later in the game, you know, that's why I was like, I think I had even mentioned in Slack, you know, about that Brooks was getting beaten defensively pretty consistently. But I think the problem was, is that, I mean, Washington was just playing so well. He's just hitting, when you're hitting from the outside, you have to respect that shot. Um, It's going to make it easier for him to get in lane. So, you know, I think, I think opposition playing really well from the perimeter, maybe better than they're used to Uh, those, those are kind of the first two things I kind of think of. Um, Yeah. So some potential foul trouble and just, I don't want to say luck from the perimeter, but just a, a
1: perimeter having a per- good game. Yeah, yeah.
2: perimeter performance that may be above your usual standard.
1: Yeah, I think that the, the Dickinson one is definitely the big one. I mean, today, this is not to, you know, act like this is not to insult Austin Davis, but like the fact is, when he was on the court, Michigan struggled. And it's not all on Davis, some of it's on you know, just the variety of things that occur in the game. But, um, uh, you know, Austin Davis was minus five. So Ohio State outscored Michigan by five points in the 11 minutes Davis was on the court. And Michigan outscored Ohio State by, by 10 in the 29 minutes he was on the court. So, and part of that is the matchup. I mean, you know, Ohio State, they don't have a true... They have Liddell, they have Kyle Young. They don't have a true, you know, big guy down low. I mean, no one's taller than six foot eight. Um, you know, they're not not quite a small ball team, but they're also going to struggle against teams with seven footers as well. So, see, so yeah, that's that's a good one. Is I mean, we haven't seen – I guess we did see it against Minnesota a little bit. I think Hunter Dickinson was a little bit in his head in that Minnesota loss. But, yeah, we haven't really seen too many games where Dickinson, like, really – could not play very much in the first half. So that's, that's a good one. I agree with the three point shooting. I also think quietly Ohio state, part of the reason they were, I don't, you know, keeping up with a Michigan team that was scoring at will was the mid range shots. I felt like they made a lot of shots. I think Ohio state finished 11 for 20 on shots by the rim. How many and ones, yeah, Did they get. Yeah. So it
2: felt like they were getting the whistle every time they went down. Well, like, oh. I
1: I told you before the game. That's how they play. Right, right. So yeah, they what they've
2: made more free throws than any team in the country this year. I think it said, or at least the Big Ten. I know there was a definitely graphic.
1: most in the Big Ten. I think yeah. they're fifth in the country entering sure. today. Um, but they they added more. <laughs> yeah, it's not like they it's not like they didn't get to the line. in. and then that second half that was that's like very typical predictable Big Ten stuff is they don't call a ton of fouls in the first half and then they kind of overcorrect. And then it, becomes, then it becomes almost rhythmical where like they do the same thing every time and Michigan defends it the same way every time. And so they call the foul every time. Uh, I think the smartest thing Michigan did, if I, if I can oversimplify what they did, is I think they just started fouling harder <laughs> later in the second half to the point where it wasn't and ones it was okay you're gonna have to make them both uh and I think that was actually it only happened a couple times but I think that was something that that helps, helped help Michigan so I guess there's that I I, I still kind of want to see them I you know the Rutgers game opened my eyes a little bit it, just because I Michigan hasn't played too many elite elite defenses this season you know Wisconsin has a top 20 defense Rutgers has a top 15 defense but like if Michigan played a defense that defends let's say as well as Michigan usually defends does that kind of slow things down in a way that makes Michigan a little uncomfortable because I I was I think Michigan was very comfortable with the shootout today you know but I think they were almost less comfortable a few days ago against Rutgers when now they won by more points and they were up by more but toward the end there when Rutgers really just was so um, I guess pesky might be the word. I mean, they were, they were so in Michigan's face and I think, pesky I think Michigan was,
2: pesky was exactly the word I was going to use. So yeah. You're right, you're right on yeah.
1: it. Mean. I mean, they, they, they relentless and um, so may, I almost wonder if that might be the, the ticket. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that was that insightful of a question or an answer on my part, but it, today's game showed me, I mean, it, they can win in so many different ways. So trying to think of ways they might be able to lose um, is an interesting thought exercise. Uh, regardless, next question. Okay, so National Coach of the Year. I think, uh, I think Jawan Howard just about locked it up today. I mean, I guess if they lost five straight games or you know, three of the next five or whatever, uh, that might change things. But as of right now, if the season ended today, Juwan Howard would win National Coach of the Year. So, Steve, kind of going broad here, and we've touched on a couple things that, that he did this offseason, what do you think he did best with this team in the last, let's say, 10 months um, in order to put himself and Michigan in the position that they're in right now? I mean, if you could pinpoint one area that he did, that you know, kind of his National Coach of the Year highlight video, uh, what, what do you lead off with? What was, what do you think the most impressive thing he did was?
2: There's something to be said about the culture that he's created.
1: Yeah. Lots to be said about the culture. Right?
2: I saw the tweet from CJ Baird after the game. Uh, not sure why he didn't travel as a player that wasn't mentioned, but he mentioned that he drove to Columbus today to watch the game and apparently must've been in the crowd uh, or wherever, but, if you watch the end of the game, when Howard turned around, faced the stands and like pointed, that's who he was pointing at, was C.J. Baird. And huh. B- Baird made a comment about uh, about Howard's thing, about loving all of his players, and that there's a, that it's, it, it's all about the culture uh, for Michigan basketball. It's a culture that he has created, is, is taking care of his guys. And so, you know, and I think building that foundation allows Michigan and Howard to you know, and it's a point that we've talked about a lot is it allows him to get guys to buy into whatever role they're asked to do. Um, I think they mentioned on the broadcast say that Chaunty Brown could have been Wake Forest's best player last year. He's probably like, he's not Michigan's best player. Right. And he's not being asked to be the guy to, to be the guy. And yet, you know, he's the guy that's the energy, the lightning, the spark, uh, for this team, you know, and it's like, I feel it's a different role for him. I'm assuming than what he had at way I don't, I'm not too familiar. He with. was
1: kind of like a, um like a Duncan Robinson in 2018 role where I think I mean, he might've started more than Duncan did, but like he was kind of, sometimes he'd start, sometimes he wouldn't, but every time he was on the court, he was asked to score points.
2: Right. So not his role right now. And yeah. that's, and to not only accept a different role, but to embrace it. And again, that goes across the board. He's just always the easiest one to point to because it's so clear. Uh Says a lot about, yeah, that foundation that Juwan Howard has. I wouldn't say built. Let's say carried over and maybe put his own mark on because it's not as if culture was an issue under John line either. Uh, right. Right. So maybe to, to sort of maybe strengthen the foundation and, and have his little – have his signature on it or whatever. The other thing is, though – what's the biggest thing we talk about it with recruiting is his ability to develop big men. And of course we know Saudi Washington play, has played a huge role in all this, but obviously, you know, Howard, his fingerprints are all over Hunter Dickinson. Right. So,
1: well, and I think with Hunter, you know, credit to society, Washington, I'm not trying to take away credit, but from what we've been able to gather in press conferences, this sounds like Jawan is taking it, making it a personal mission to coach Hunter Dickinson. Like, more so than maybe he, maybe a typical big man. Like, I think, he's, I think he's really taking on a one-on-one. I mean, I, they talked in the press conference. I don't know if you caught it. Uh, last night, Juwan Howard and Hunter Dickinson had a one-on-one film session, you know, on, on Saturday night before the biggest game of the year. And it's just the two of them. So, yeah, can, continue with your point. I just want to point out, it, I think this is even more Howard's fingerprints than maybe you and I thought.
2: Right. And that's really that the point. That was really the point. Cause as we said, he could be the team's best player. And that Howard's had a huge say and role in maybe getting making him the best player, coaching him up to be the best player. You know, so I think those are two when you talk about national coach of the year, because that's what we said, we talk about center being a real big question mark for Michigan coming into this season. Well, now it's a strength. And like you said, you're having players talk openly talk about how great the culture is! How great he treats his players, you know. It goes back to that—that that just tangibly, like uh, tangible bond, Uh and just the you know the the kids love playing for him. It's clear yeah. as day when you yeah. when you watch him play. So I think those two big things. When you're talking about national coach of the year, the other thing is like who uh, who else, if not him, right now? Like, well. Like, Nato under, Underwood probably
1: wins it in a normal year. Nato's out of Alabama.
2: Sure, that's true. Yep. I forgot about that. Like there
1: actually are a few guys, you know, I think I honestly think um if Baylor makes it through the Big 12 undefeated, you know, that I don't know if Kansas has ever even done that. So, you know, all those good national title contending teams um you know, there's there's a few. I think Chris Holtman was he's definitely in the con- sure. conversation, but obviously they didn't win today, um, so there's a few, but I I think I think it's him, and I, I don't as of right now I don't think it's close. Now if they lose a couple games, you know maybe that opens the door, but or if or if Alabama wins out, you know they only lose one SEC game, some, something like that. I mean there there are other coaches, but right now I think it's John Howard by a good distance. I like both of your points. Uh, the culture we've talked about it before. I don't know if it was a player who told me this, or somebody said, you know, he always makes sure Jawan always makes sure that there's love in the building before he, you know, is critical, you know, so he can be more critical because of it. Um, You know, I think he's just very earnest, very genuine, truly treats his players the way he always wanted to be treated by coaches. Um, You know, he treats every player differently too. I think he really understands and adores his players like like crazy i mean and and the way he talks about every single player it's it's a little annoying as a reporter because you know we like to hear the the variation of quotes but the way Juwan beams about every single one of his players uh, is it's very easy to see why he has the number one recruiting class in the country because i think it's hard to hard to talk to juan howard for more than a minute and not be ready to sign up to play for him so that's a big part of it i agree with you on the development of the big men the one i'm gonna go with is the point guard position and i and i'll go this way for for i'll illustrate it like this last season three four-year starting point guards graduated from the big 10 at michigan it was xavier simpson played a huge role i mean he was like their entire offense. And, like, their entire defense, too, last season. Uh, Anthony Cowan from Maryland, another guy he just played. I mean, he set, like, set all sorts of records. And then Cassius Winston out out of Michigan State. Well, two of those teams are in full-on rebuilding years. And one of them is contending for a national title and a Big Ten title. And I – it's hard to tell what Michigan would have been without Mike Smith. But I, I guarantee there's not a single Michigan fan out there that wants to rewind it and try it again and see what happens. And and that was a big deal. I mean, it, it's there were a lot of point guards in the transfer portal that, that they could have gone after. Some of them might have played more in the Big Ten or might be a little taller or yada yada. But for for Michigan and Jawan Howard to, you know, do all their vetting, come to the conclusion of Mike Smith, who, who has been a – perfect fit i mean culturally uh you know and, and stylistically i would say too um and just how he how, can, how he can help orchestrate an offense and then also and this is where i think the this is where i think i give juan howard the edge over john beeline mike smith wasn't a he didn't need 10 15 games to figure it out you know he was an instant impact point guard that's not easy to do That is really not easy to do in college basketball where the point guard rules everything. So, um, again, maybe that's Howard Isley doing some homework. Maybe they got lucky that, you know, Mike Smith, he, for those that don't know, um, he is like training partners with Jimmy Butler, who is aware of the heat and obviously has played in Chicago. So, I mean, there, there are a few connections that probably didn't hurt Michigan and Juwan Howard, but for him to not be afraid to go, get a point guard instead of, instead of handing it to, to Eli Brooks full time or, or counting on um, Zeb Jackson to, to be ready in year one, you know, he went a route that not everyone goes and not every team has gone. And he got a, a point guard that, you know, his numbers aren't eye popping, you know, we're not talking about Mike Smith being first, second or third team, all big 10 or anything like that. But um. I think, I think Michigan fans would shudder at the thought to, to think about where, where Michigan would be without Mike Smith. So great find, great recruitment, great development to get him ready to go. Uh, that's, that's what National Coaches of the Year do, though. I mean, they do things that not a lot of other teams are able to do. That's why they're up in the top five. I don't know if I have another – oh, I do. Okay, Big Ten look around. Did today's game, Steve, change how you view – the final few games. So they have Iowa at home, Indiana on the road, Illinois at home, Michigan state at home, and then Michigan state on the road. There's light rumor. I don't think they're going to add another game. I guess they possibly potentially could, but it seems like they're booked up. Did today's game change how you view those, those final five games and, and kind of maybe your expectations for what Michigan will do?
2: Uh, I don't know. Illinois is gonna to be tough. That's that's I think, and I mean, obviously Iowa will too, right? And if that's on the road, correct?
1: Which Illinois? No, that's at no home. Iowa. Iowa's at home as well. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, Unless they switched it.
2: No, I don't. I don't. I think you're right. But no, I mean, because I just we said that we, you know, what do we say? Like we a six out of se- six out of ten or seven out of ten comfort level as far as Michigan's. Ability to win Ohio State, what they're out, right? I mean, they're Michigan's four games ahead of them.
1: It'd have to be a they'd have to win
2: out and, and Michigan would have to lose out and, right? and
1: Illinois, I think, right. have to, Like lose out, yeah.
2: So, well, and those two teams play each other, so one of them's not losing out. Uh,
1: so, real quick, just uh, Michigan is 11 and one in the Big Ten, Illinois is 12 and three, o- Ohio State is 12 and five, so they would have to basically. Like if, if they won the rest of their games, I think they would have a winning percentage advantage over Michigan who lost the rest of their games, but it's not going to happen. I, I don't think right. Michigan's going to completely lose five straight to close the season. Continue though.
2: No, I just think Michigan there, this was a huge game to kind of solidify that position. Cause now it pretty much again, and I did watch Michigan state against Indiana. It was a really like a poorly played game for a while, but Michigan State actually looked pretty good in the second half. And you know Michigan's gonna get their best mm-hmm. effort in the final two get Well, not to mention it depending on how they play leading up to it. I know they're five and nine, but if they can string together a couple wins here, they might be fighting for their tournament lives in those two yes. games. Right? Yeah, it's possible. So you know the the it's they still have a very interesting road ahead, even though we're almost to the end of the road. Uh, you have two of the three, but be- two of the three best opponents remaining with Illinois and Iowa. And you have a rival twice in a row. Like I said, who might be fighting for their tournament lives? So, no, I mean, again, today just showed me, definitely showed me they could beat Iowa because this would be the type of game I would have thought they that would happen against Iowa, right? A shootout, a high scoring shootout. We hadn't seen Michigan in that type of situation this year. And you know, they answered it. Uh, but you know, I still think, yeah, Il- the game against Illinois is really going to dictate, I think, how this thing goes.
1: Yeah. I actually think Iowa's is a tougher matchup than Illinois just because Iowa has, They, I mean, they have a guy who can defend in, in Wieskamp, not def- defend. He can match up well against livers and Wagner. They have a big man who um, has literally trained with Hunter Dickinson a lot in the last year. Uh, They were, they were, they were pandemic buddies Um, and you know, they, they have a pretty deep team. I think Illinois, you know, they're, they're very good and they're playing about as well as anybody, but you know, I think, I think Illinois, there is an, there is a blueprint if you have the right personnel to beating them just because they're kind of a two man team uh, statistically and, and offensively. But I actually think today did move move it a little bit. I think I can bump it up to a seven or eight in terms of how confident I think Michigan fans should be that Michigan will win the Big Ten title, um, partly because they beat the number three team. So, like, the, the standings, I mean, it's really only Illinois is the, is the only team within striking distance. So, but, I, you know, suddenly – you know, they, they played really, really well on the road. So suddenly the Indiana game seems like not too much trouble. I think the game at Michigan State, not too much trouble. And the rest of the games are at home. And they have a few days to prep for Iowa. Um, they won't have as, quite as many days to prep for Illinois. I think it's a Saturday and then a Tuesday. But, you know, certainly – I mean, this is this is Michigan's Big Ten title to lose, I guess is – was, it was probably already the case – But now it's even more the case because they scored a big win on the road against one of the top contenders. So um, that's going to do it from us. Be sure to read all of our stories. I'll have a few coming up tonight. I already have a couple up anyways. Over at themichiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. Lots of football and recruiting news as well. Spring practice begins tomorrow, and then obviously recruiting uh, has been ongoing, and they – are making, have been making a coaching change too. So lots of stuff over there. Uh, Obviously our podcasts, if you like them, feel free to subscribe. We also do a, Tim McCormick and Sam Webb do a weekly basketball podcast. They have, I mean, their guest list is amazing. So be sure to check those out. Obviously the Inside Michigan Football Recruiting Podcast or Inside Michigan Recruiting Podcast as well once a week, getting a lot of positive feedback about that. So throw us a rating, subscribe, tell your friends about it. Uh, Be sure to... To join because we're gonna we're just getting started on the basketball coverage and then obviously uh, all the other news have all your bases covered here. This has been the Wolverine Twenty Four Seven Podcast for Steve Lorenz. I'm Zach Shaw. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. See you next time.
0: Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.